Welcome to Hacking the Hustle. This is your host, Benji Sklar, and I'm really excited to have my friend Ariel Hoffman on the podcast today. What's up, Ariel? Not much, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. A little background on Ariel, or Ariel, however you want to pronounce it. Ariel, Ariel. You can call me Ari. You used to call me Ari, so let's just go with that. Yeah. So Ari's based in Israel right now, and we know each other because we joined the Israeli army together, and Ari is uh, from Florida originally, and he played college football at UCF as a walk-on running back, and then he joined the Special Forces in the IDF, and then actually had to stop his surface because he was diagnosed with cancer. And he's a jacked former college football player running back in the Special Forces, so that was quite surprising and sad. And, and then post-Army, he started a business with his brother in the sports fitness industry in Israel, training elite athletes. And now he's considering moving back to the United States, getting his MBA. And I really want to jump into all of these different sectors of his life and how they relate to you, the person who may be listening, about should I get an MBA? Should I start a small business? Should I move to a foreign country? And I feel like... Ari has a lot of good insights in regards to all of those topics. So let's just dive right into it. Ari, what's going on? Tell us what it's like to be in Israel right now during the coronavirus, and uh, what are you looking at? Not a problem. So right now, Israel was uh, pretty quick to act, and uh, you know, with this whole coronavirus, I've been I've been basically in quarantine for like a month because I was outside of the country for for a week, and the day before I came back, they. Uh, put it guidelines that anyone entering the country uh, has to go into a, tw- a two-week quarantine and then I was I was in quarantine for two weeks and then a day before I was supposed to get out of quarantine they created these you know the new guidelines ordered uh, for a nationwide lockdown so for the past month I've basically just been inside you know just, you know doing my yeah. things you know totally. relaxing but yeah no it's crazy though Israel is usually a very you know, busy, uh, constant traffic everywhere. And now it's like there's almost nobody on the roads. Uh, everything's mm-hmm. empty, quiet. So it's definitely not something you're used to. Yeah, same here in New York. Yeah, I'm sure. Everywhere yeah. across the world. So let's jump yeah. into your uh, starting a small business. When you get out of the army and you decide to start a company, what was that process like? What are some... Uh, Tell us about that journey. Oh, for sure, for sure. So for me, once I got, once like I, uh, I got out of the military, it was, you know, I came, I joined, we, we both came to Israel after our, we got our degrees. And uh, so we were a little older than most of the kids who were joining the military at the time. For me, I thought once, once I got out, I realized, you know, most of my friends had been in the, in their, in the workforce for a couple of years now. And I wanted to kind of jump right into that you know, catch up with them in a sense and uh, do something for myself. But that was really, really important. I wanted to experience uh, building something, uh, you know, uh, a vision, vision and, you know, building on that. And uh, my brother, who also served in the military, went back to America after to get his master's degree in exercise physiology, had, had, had the idea of uh, opening up a sports performance center. Uh, essentially, within, within, in Israel, we saw that uh, it was the community, the sports community was lacking. And essentially, this type of uh, uh, of business, uh, most most athletes are training in normal commercial gyms, uh, not provide, not getting any type of proper strength conditioning protocols and training regimens, and 
even the, the teams themselves don't have any weight rooms, aren't providing them with any type of training. Uh, so we kind of uh, recognized uh, uh, an opening in the market and decided to kind of pioneer this, uh, is essentially this American, this American culture of strength conditioning. You know, for us, the, the business that we built is you see it in every city in America, whereas mm-hmm. we were the first of its kind here in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that was the main motivation of really like, you know, continue, the continuation of our, our, our beliefs and like, you know, trying to give, give to the country, uh, both, you know, initially in serving the military, serving in the military and now in trying to progress the, the sports world here, um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the athletes in Israel. Um, so it was like both for obviously uh, a business, uh, get the get business experience, experience of running, being owners, running a business, and also to try and give back to the country. That's nice. You said something really interesting where you felt like you were behind your friends getting out of the army. Like they had work experience and you didn't. And I felt the same way. I felt yeah. like I was two and a half years behind all of my friends who were working. And I, like, I kind of like shot myself in the foot by serving in the army. And then everyone mm-hmm. says, what are you talking about? You served. It's so honorable. You learned the great lessons like discipline and working for talking about a huge organization of 500,000 employees. It's a lot bigger mm-hmm. than just a company with 500. So, but I, I didn't think of it like that at all. I felt like I was just like in the forest, in the, in the woods somewhere, sleeping on a <laughs> yoga mat, practicing training drills, not it's really, <laughs> yeah, not really learning how to be uh, a business man so i feel like that like the world has like this misconstrued perception of what it really means to serve in the army what was what was your army experience like being in the special Ah, forces and for me uh first of all like serving in the unit that i served was incredible uh in my experience with the guys that i served with uh, i'm to this day even though i was released early i was medically discharged early i'm still very close to the other guys in my unit um obviously it was it was probably like the best thing, the best statement to like sum up the military, uh, especially like I heard this even before I joined, is it's the best experience that you never want to go through again. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Because <laughs> like, you know, you, you, a lot of the things that you go through at the time, they suck and like mm-hmm. you are just hating your life. But after it's kind of like, all right, like you can laugh at it. You can, you know, it's memories that you have with guys who, that just like you'll say it lasts your lifetime and nobody who who anyone who hasn't gone through it will never understand yeah um it's an experience like that really teaches you a lot about yourself uh for me at least uh, it allowed me to kind of uh like you know kind of analyze myself like, a lot of self-reflection i was able to look at myself understand mm-hmm. like you know what 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 makes me what makes me go crazy what mm-hmm. i need to kind of like improve on and for me in the military you have to you're reliant on uh everyone's reliant on you like you're only as good as your weakest you know team member mm-hmm. and i, I like so, how you said like it's something that you don't want to go through again but you're happy you did it i feel like yeah. law, law school is the same like I, like <laughs> while you're while you're doing it it's tough and it sucks and it's hard but after you're gonna, I know I'm gonna be really grateful for all the things for I've sure. learned, and it's same as like any uh, military experience I can imagine. Yeah, but- yeah, exactly. I think it's like real quick. I just think like the, the, in most things in life, I feel like it's hard to kind of like uh, get a perspective on what you're learning, what you're gaining from that ex- specific experience. It's only yeah. after the fact that it's easy to kind of look back and understand what uh, what benefits the, it provided you. Totally. So for you, now that you're considering moving back to the U.S., what benefits did you get out of starting 
a fitness business? So for me, um, in, in the business side of, again, in creating the business, obviously, uh, because of my background and I have my degree, my bachelor's in exercise science, uh, and obviously being a former athlete and, uh, my dad is also uh, has his PhD in exercise physiology. So it's kind of like a family thing, mm-hmm. but I had the experience of being able to train, but my main focus, my main, uh, interest in starting the business was the business development and essentially helping the business grow. Uh, so although I was training, my main focus was, you know, increasing our sales, creating the marketing strategies, uh, creating uh, partnerships, whether it be, you know, we, we um, had relationships with the, the Ministry of Defense. We worked with the Wingate Institute, uh, different various professional uh, soccer clubs. So the motivation for me in creating the business uh, was really to get, get that experience of, and in, to increase my business acumen and have an understanding of the, you know, the struggles that it takes to, you know, make it small time in a sense, because obviously yeah. a small, I'm a small business owner and, you know, we have our limits to what we can reach. And so my experience in growing up my business from, from nothing to, uh, you know, almost 3000 square meter facility uh, with four trainers, you know, training under me and, you know, training athletes from, from professional soccer players to the world champion in, uh, in Muay Thai uh, to like, you know, Israel's number two ranked tennis player. Uh, so it's uh, really, like, you know, expanding the business is something that really motivated me in, in, uh, in, in doing this, uh, in, in embarking on this journey. And now for like the reason why I'm going for my MBA is I, I want to, I was looking for my next challenge, you know, uh, I'm really, uh, uh, I really believe it's important to challenge, continue to challenge yourself, and to try and like improve on who you on, on, on who you are. And I believe that getting my MBA will kind of provide me with uh, you know the, the right opportunity to essentially uh, challenge my 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 uh, my abilities on a larger scale. Uh, you know, going into corporate America and dealing with uh, with a much more a larger population and a much more you know things at stake. Mm-hmm. What makes you want to go get an MBA rather than go work for a company or start your own new company and go back into the education system so in the traditional the, sense? So that's one of the one of like the um, the I think that I've been, I've been battling with that lately. Mm-hmm. Um, like the idea of going into like a, trying either management consulting or uh, a you know a tech company like you know AWS or Google or whatever. And I'm looking at that, like, I'm 28 years old, and if I were to go there, you know, if they look at my, my CV, you know, although I've, I've, uh, I have a, a decent background in starting my own business, I most likely will go enter into an analyst role, which, you know, which is a, you know, entry-level position. And I looked at the benefits of getting my MBA, at least at a, at a top university, will offer me the, the opportunities to, to come in at a higher level um, uh, and, and really kind of also provide me with a good transition from someone who doesn't have any business background in the sense of like a formal education uh, to get some certain things that potentially were missing uh, from, you know, obviously I gained a lot as a, from doing, but there's also a lot of technical things that I could learn and that I can improve on that the MBA could provide me in addition to opening up doors for various job opportunities. Yeah, I hear you. And it's very reasonable to believe that. I, all, I took the GRE apply to one business school called Baruch College in Manhattan, which is a state city school and was accepted and enrolled into one class called business communications. And I 
dropped out after it because <laughs> because I w- was just rolling my eyes the whole time while I was there. I, I was really? yeah because I was in the middle of starting Forge, which is my my startup, and yeah. and it, and then so I'm like working all day on actual uh, business operations, trying to figure out how to grow this thing. And then I go to class at night and sit in a room with this uh, older woman and 15 other students all like kind of like scrolling on Facebook on the computers while she's showing a PowerPoint presentation about like how to communicate in today's business environment. And I was just like, this is so irrelevant. Like I'm not (laughs) learning anything. I could watch YouTube videos to get lessons. Yeah. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, not this random woman, and and I and I quit and I didn't go back. And I I would say ninety nine percent of the people who know me don't even know that happened, even though those close to me. And yeah. so like I have a uh, uh, like a firsthand experience of actually applying, spending all those hours studying for the GRE mm-hmm. and uh, applications, and 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 then pulled the plug. I wanted to get That's the JD, M- JD MBA, and then I said, you know, it's not worth it. I'd rather like get the real world business experience. And so, um, I think, I think it also depends on like what your what your goal is. I mean, as as someone who like if I had if I currently had some kind of like startup idea, yeah, I wouldn't go get my MBA. I would most likely focus on developing that and you know, uh, trying to you know, trying to raise some funds, uh, and develop my, you know, increase my understanding of the business world through mm. action. But, you know, for me, obviously the, the, the opportunities that could, that you can get provided with an MBA at a top program, um, in regards to, you know, whether you want to go into management consulting or one of those top, uh, corporations at, you know, uh, an associate level role, Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's like, it depends on what your goal is, you know? Yeah. It really depends well, here, on here's a challenge. What if you don't get into a top program? I thought I was going to get into Harvard law school and I ended up at Brooklyn <laughs> law school. I thought I was going to get into Harvard yeah. MBA and I didn't get accepted. Like I, and so yeah. like, I got slapped in the face with rea- a reality check. Like, Hey Benji, your scores aren't good enough to get into the top 15 law schools. What are you going to do? Are you going to go to law school? Yeah. Or are you just going to not because of everyone's opinion that you can only go to a top school. You should only go to law school or business school if you get into a top school, which means they're really saying uh, the education doesn't matter what you're going to learn. It matters the brand Name. that you put on your resume yeah. and the people that you network. So mm-hmm. it's like really thinking about like, what is, at, what about, what am I really trying to get? Is it the brand? Is it like the, or is it the, the knowledge about how to run uh, Facebook ads and how to write a business plan, how to run a DCF model and how to run statistics and accounting and all the things that actually you can learn online for free. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, it's, uh, it's one of the things I'm, that's why I haven't, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I was saying before, I'm kind of like battling with those two ideas of whether I want to go into the, you know, attempt to go into the workforce and really kind of, you know, go that route and just trying to work my way up. And mm-hmm. it's something because like, you know, obviously you, you going that route essentially provides me with opportunity to not be in debt. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm, I don't have, I currently, I don't have any student debts from my undergrads. Mm-hmm. undergrad uh, time i don't have any debt whatsoever and so like you know it's definitely a, a question of what kind of like a a cause benefit analysis of what yeah. uh of, huge. Of, of what and that's yeah. what i need to do 
Yeah, I, I, I fortunately got a great scholarship from uh, law school, so I don't have any student debts. But my classmates, my, my closest friends, they're already like 150 grand in debt. And, yeah. and it, it really is daunting to think about how they're going to pay that off when you're making 60, 70 grand a year at plus interest. You know, it's like even if they're making 200 grand a year, it's going to take 40 years. And so, like, I, I just, um, I, I'm not the right person to be the 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 voice <laughs> on on your shoulder, being like, go to get an NBA. I'm I'm yeah. the opposite. I'm the guy who says, don't go to an NBA. But who the hell am I? I it's not like I've sold a successful business and like worked out of Fortune <laughs> 500. I'm just Joe Schmo. But that's just like yeah. from my personal life experiences. Yeah. I think it's definitely like uh, it's definitely something that I've been thinking about. I've been going back and forth. Like I've, I have like my one best friend who works with Deloitte uh, Management Consulting, and mm-hmm. he want you got a job with them right out of right out of Penn State. And then I think about two or three years into working for them, he ended up going to get his MBA, and they paid for it. Yeah. And it was just like obviously that's like the most ideal situation ever because you're yeah. you're going to a top program. He went to Kellogg, so he went to like the, mm-hmm. one of the top. I think the number one for the, the one year MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know, but like, so what do you, like you can't bet on you can't bet on your company exactly. paying for your MBA. Exactly. And, uh, and like, what is the even goal of getting an MBA? Is it to get a job, or is it to uh, to appease the chip on your shoulder and the voices in your head that told you you can only be successful if you have an MBA? So that's one of the things I'm kind of battling right now uh, with myself. Like, do I want, should, you know, should I put in the time and get the actual ex- work experience? Because uh, that's essentially what matters the most. If I want to, like, mm-hmm. climb the ladder, is getting that experience. Or do I want to, you know, kind of uh, walk, the, walk the party line in a sense and, mm-hmm. and do as others have done. Uh, yeah. Just to get that, to, to check that box off and, you know, say that I have that name if I, if I even get it, you know. Yeah. Um. I yeah. Right now, I'm I'm, mm-hmm. stud- I'm studying to, for the GMATs right now, but it's uh. I hear you. Like my brother, and my brother David Sklar, my cousin Jeffrey Derbyshire, they both are, quote unquote, successful businessmen in their late twenties, early thirties, like with top of the top jobs, and they didn't go, they didn't get their MBAs, and they always are like at least in my opinion anti-mba because if they got their mbas they would have to leave the opportunities that they're already that they already have to go work for two years and so it's like how do you position yourself i guess people who already have good jobs don't want to leave to get their mba Mm -hmm. but then i have my father's voice in the back of my head who's like benji like if you don't get a graduate like if you want to be successful you have to get an mba because when you look at all the CEOs of Fortune 500s and you look at their bios, it says uh, on, uh, BA and then it has under it MBA. And if you want to be one of those yeah. people, you have to put in that time. But it's um, it's exhausting to it's exhausting to live your life based on other people's opinions. I've been this. I've been, it's exhausting. And that's one of the things for me right now. I'm actually working on a on a essential kind of like self analysis for myself. I'm mm-hmm. kind of like doing like really like um, understanding what I've done up until this point in my life um, and kind of trying to figure, trying to picture myself, you know, 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. And so I want, I, I'm trying to like create a picture of where I, where I want to be 10 years from now and then kind of work backwards from that. And mm-hmm. that's essentially like the mindset that I'm in right now uh, to try and kind of figure out, like, like you're saying, try and 
essentially block out all the noise from, my, from the outside because I'm also hearing stuff from like my parents and mm-hmm. my friends and, you know, obviously advice from professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I needed, I feel like it's important to obviously take into, into consideration what people are, you know, or the, the advice that you're getting from individuals. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's also important to understand or try and figure out what exactly it is that you want to shoot for and aim for. Yeah, and that's, what, that's what I'm focused on right now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear that like, you're getting advice from other professionals. When everyone's biased and, and like if someone asks me, Hey Benji, should I go to the IDF? Should I go to Amherst college? Should I like, you know, I'm just going to say yes, because I did it, even though I, I regret it or I wish I didn't do it or I I did something different. I'm just going to say, yes, you should do that really to make me feel better uh, Mm -hmm. for what I did. So when people are giving advice, I feel like they really just push people to, to appease their own, their own like their own doubts their own uh, insecurities and they confirm the decisions that they made in the past yeah yeah I guess that's a good that's an interesting point that's an interesting point you know because like you know a lot of times well I, I really depend i really feel it depends on my career speaking to as well um i feel like if, if someone's like really like lacks the confidence in their past decisions and you know is self-conscious about you know certain things and they'd be definitely that would definitely like affect them mm-hmm. um but like my friends have like my sister who is uh been in the professional she worked for five years at pwc in manhattan um then made aliyah and started working for aws you know amazon mm-hmm. Israel. now she's living in madrid uh as she's like a a manager uh like a senior manager in, in madrid you know mm-hmm. kicking ass and and mm-hmm. at the same time she's providing me she, I understood that like, the struggles that she's been through and, you know, she doesn't, you know, make it out to be like the greatest possible job ever. Yeah. She, you know, she understood, she kind of, when, when I speak to her about going into corporate America or in a sense working for like one of those top uh, mm-hmm. uh, companies, it's, uh, it's an understanding that like, you know, you're working long hours, you're not necessarily going to enjoy what you're doing. You're not necessarily enjoy who you're working for. Um, and so I'm also getting the other side of that, you know, from like the from the advice from other people. Yeah, um, that's really good insight to see, like, uh, people who you think have the dream job, who you aspire to be, that you're jealous of, and then they're yeah, yeah. they're they are uh, transparent with you, and they show you their true colors of what's really going on under the hood. Everyone's mm-hmm. dealing with shit. Like, I, I I bet if you ask Donald Trump or or Miley Cyrus, Katy Perry, <laughs> Usher, like all these people who you think are awesome and have the best life because they live in mansions and are famous. Mm-hmm. They're all dealing with shit. They all have issues. No one. Yeah. And like for based off my own experience, I feel like the people who are actually the happiest, they don't need, they, they could be making 50 grand a year and they're making, and they, they don't need to be making a lot of money as long as they're doing what makes them happy. And like they're living their best life. Uh, and I feel like a lot of those people are people who figured out how to to buy and sell real estate properties. Like I feel like the people who are really happy in this world have figured out how to earn passive income by buying real estate okay. and and like making money off of rent. Like they're the landlords. And um, I'll give you another perspective for that. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times, um, a lot of like, people chase happiness. Um, but I do believe that happiness can be fleeting. You know, it comes and goes at different times, and mm-hmm. you know, depending on like what's going on in your current state. I believe that you know, and this is things that I've learned from you know listening to Jordan Peterson and things like that, and reading his books and, uh, and some other other people's. But 
Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist that came to you know the spotlight a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a really interesting individual. I recommend you check him out. Oh, well. um, got a great podcast. But uh, he talks about like kind of like the your your search for your meet for your search for meaning. You know, mm-hmm. trying to find meaning in what you're in what you do and the by I think essentially for that I look at that as like the, the byproduct of searching for meaning and finding it uh, in what you're doing in life, whether it be your work or the things that you do after work, uh, whatever it is in your life that you find that gives you meaning. That the byproduct of that is what's going to pr- produce the happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not saying I, 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 you can be a, a you know the garbage man. I doubt that they love you know picking up garbage, mm-hmm. but they might. But that doesn't mean that they're not happy. You know, yeah. they, they may not like exactly, you know, being a garbage man, but they're getting paid pretty well and mm-hmm. they might find, you know, other, other, uh, meaningful acts in their lives that, yeah. you know. So it's so hard. Like what, what, how do you define happiness and what is like meaning? Like for me, I'm working on forge. I'm in law school. Why the hell am I even doing this? I like, yeah. what is the meaning behind it? Am I trying to bring people together? Like in reality, it's, I'm trying to build a business that generates revenue so that I can pay myself a salary and have savings so that I can buy a house so that I can relax on the couch with my family. And that's already what I'm doing right now in self-quarantine. Exactly. Yeah, it's so funny that you said that. It's so funny that you say that. It's like we work to get to a certain point so at the end of the road we can go back to doing what we were doing before we actually worked all that time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because of a society that tells us we have to be on the rat race and be productive members of society so that we can like self feel that self-worth. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> it's, it's it's a good point because like honestly like the that, and that's why it's so important to really try and uh like find the things in life that like really are whether it's meaningful or that you enjoy and you know obviously that's the most important thing in life is time mm-hmm. time is the most valuable thing in the world uh and so like the the, the way you choose to spend the time is really important mm-hmm. um how did how, like, how did getting diagnosed with cancer impact your perception of time that was interesting. I mean, like, it definitely, it was, that was unexpected. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I was right at the end of my training. I was about to get my, you know, my final pin, finishing the the end of training, mm-hmm. my unit. And uh, they hit me with that. And for me, it was kind of like a, it was like a reality, like a, a, a hit of reality. Like, you know, this is life. I mean, mm-hmm. You can actually die. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, like for me, I don't know why, but for some reason, I had I, from the beginning, I'd never, I was never scared. For mm-hmm. some reason, I don't know why I had the confidence I'd be fine. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was able to kind of like, you know, look at this. Like, I looked at everything else in life. You know, as a football player, we're, we're constantly faced with like things and constantly hammered into our heads to persevere and overcome the obstacles that we face. And so, that's essentially how I tackled the, mm-hmm. the everything with the cancer. It was um, in your neck. So it it was my out of thyroid cancer. Mm-hmm. Right here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, they, so obviously, like, it was for me, like, I, like, as soon as I was, like, a week and a half after I was diagnosed, I had to get surgery because it was pretty advanced. But, um, and then, the, you know, the, the road, like, that wasn't even the hardest part. The hardest part uh, wasn't, like, the week that I sat in the hospital. It was really the, the six months after that of, like, you know, hormones, unbalance, you know, mm. your mind just going, like not, not being able to sleep, not being able to concentrate. So there's a lot of, you know, different types, types of psychological effects that I had on me um, that really kind of led me towards a lot of like the, the self, 
reflection type uh, part mm-hmm. in my life. And mm-hmm. I started like, you know, looking back and a lot of the things that I've done, decisions that I've made. And the biggest impact for me is that it's essentially like, you know, kind of trying to not waste any time in a sense of, uh, you know, self-improvement and, you know, what I'm doing with my life. Mm-hmm. Nice. I feel like that ties in well with what we've been talking about these last 20 minutes. Yeah. Like asking yourself these questions that people don't like i feel like the world tells you not to ask yourself like don't yeah. don't, a- don't ask what's really my best self-interest just go along with the go along with the plan that everyone's mm-hmm. telling you to go with like getting like these degrees and playing like, going along with this I mean, it's interesting to me to like paint to you like yo don't get an mba go start your own company when you did start your own company you already <laughs> did it so it's not like you don't have that experience like you did it and I can't imagine how hard it was being an American being in Israel and dealing with all the legal issues and taxes and, and tell me about that. No, starting a business in Israel is one of the hardest things ever. I really, I truly believe that if you, if you can successfully, you know, run a business in Israel, you can run a business, you know, anywhere in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that. (laughs) <laughs> like obviously there's bureaucracy everywhere and america is you know has no shortage of bureaucracy but in israel it's, it's a it's extremely frustrating you know having to go through the um the different barriers that they have in place that are just you know essentially make it easy for a big the big you know name companies to kind of deal with everything but the small the small businesses kind of fall through the cracks and a lot of the things you know and the, the amount of the amount that you have to work in israel to really make a difference in regards to an impact in, in, in revenue is exorbitant because we have 17% is, you know, that, you know, goes mm-hmm. to everything. 17% of everything we make goes into the, uh, goes to the government. Mm-hmm. And, and so and then take the rest of the, of the 83% and take 25% of that, uh, of the profits goes to corporate tax. Wow. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. You know, you have a lot of the expenses are expenses are really high. So you have to really get creative with lowering your expenses um, mm-hmm. and making it so that you can, you know, pay yourself and, you know, pay your workers and expand the business. You know, mm-hmm. we went from having zero and also like the, the Israeli mentality, the personalities, like, you know, the thing, what we're doing is, um, is not common, like, you know, and obviously in America, it's our culture is all about like, you know, getting in the weight room at an early age, you know, and training, you know, football teams are constantly mm-hmm. you know, the biggest number one sport. People are training from an early age. Whereas in Israel, they're still like, you know, 30 years behind where America used to be, where they still think that, uh, you know, training as a kid will stunt your growth. And that's like, mm-hmm. you know, scientifically, you know, has been disproven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the times, like the, a lot of the, the struggles is also changing the mentality of the Israeli customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we actually get the Israeli athlete in the facility, they're still um you know they've been taught a certain way their whole lives like the, mm-hmm. the israeli coaches are constantly putting you know shoving down their throats the idea of uh, overtraining so they get to mm-hmm. the point where they're constantly saying don't overtrain don't overtrain so they're barely even training so they they're actually end, end up being undertrained because mm-hmm. they're not actually doing enough training so the struggles of this specific business is the is the education uh, educating mm-hmm. the 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 athletes the educating the parents and educating the coaches mm-hmm. the next part is obviously getting them in uh, and, yeah. and, and having them pay a fee that's going to be able to uh, justify our existence. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, I, and then from there, just expanding to different avenues. So we started off with like, you know, obviously we barely had a budget for marketing. We did, mm-hmm. we kind of just hustled our way. I, I slid, slid into the DMs of, mo- of many, many players and, you know, one on one. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Inv- inviting guys to the facility. And then, and then like, you know, from there, a few guys came and word of mouth helped. And that expanded our, our business. And then we kind of saw an opportunity uh, with also the, the training, the trainers in mm-hmm. Israel. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the opportunities we, we saw is creating a strength conditioning pro, uh, uh, course that's geared towards for trainers to understanding how to work with athletes because Wingate has its course, but it teaches the trainers how to work with the general population, which is completely different than how to train athletes. Mm-hmm. So those are two uh, main aspects of the business that we kind of uh, uh, established and expanded as the time uh, went on. And uh, although it's it hasn't been easy because obviously the again the Israeli population, the Israeli culture is, mm-hmm. is very difficult. And the yeah. personalities are, are yeah. much stronger. Whereas in America, the athletes are just kind of like, you do the, you tell them what to do and they'll, they'll do it. You know, mm-hmm. there's no questions asked. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say I, I salute you for being a trailblazer, bringing this, this athlete mindset to Israel. I bet most countries besides the United States don't have that mindset of elite performance, elite training, unless they're Olympic teams or these like they're pro teams. It's interesting to hear like how on this podcast, we've talked about how America pushes us to get degrees and get high paying jobs to be happy and live the American dream. I wonder how every single country, I don't know how many there are like 270 countries on the planet. How all, every country has its own narrative of like to be happy in our society, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And like mm-hmm. how they're and like everyone's right, and everyone thinks everyone thinks they're right. Everyone thinks everyone else is wrong, and we're all just like, uh, vic- like victims to our like to the society that we live in. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. 100%. no, it's interesting. I feel like the the best thing to possibly to potentially do is try and you know take the best out of every single society and every single culture as much as you can. I mean, obviously, we you can only do that. as uh, to what you're exposed to. And obviously me and you have been exposed to Israeli culture and American culture for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you also, you have Mexican family as well. So yeah. What, uh, what do you think is, what do you think is the difference between an, an, an American and an Israeli who is, uh, the exact same age, exact same like build style personality? Let's, let's say one word, chutzpah. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> Honestly, like the, the typical Israeli will have no problem in you know, even if he's not qualified, like they don't they don't mind taking risks. They'll they'll put themselves out there and you know take the chance of you know being shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas an American might you know kind of be like kind of hesitant to kind of take an opportunity uh, or, or or actually no sorry let me let me rephrase that. An Israeli would will uh, make his own opportunity mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Whereas I feel like a lot, oftentimes Americans wait for the opportunities or go mm-hmm. according to what the, what the society expects them to do. Like, you know, mm-hmm. go, go, go get your MBA whereas, mm-hmm. and, and then get a high paying job. Whereas in Israel, they'll try and go with a high paying job without, without the MBA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like uh, Israelis pre-army 
respect Americans, see them on a pedestal because of the movies and, and culture yeah. where like Americans are uh, from a, a better world country. And then they join the army and then they realize that the Americans who serve in the units with them, like me and you, were just the same Joe Schmoes like they are. And they're 100%. like, oh, okay, like I guess America isn't that good because this guy could have could be living in New York going to a nightclub, but here he is <laughs> like uh, eating tuna out of a tuna can in the middle of nowhere with me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then they go on their eight-month trip to South America, India, Thailand, and they live their best life, and they party, do drugs, and they go crazy, and then, yeah. and then they they realize like, oh, like I don't want to, I'm doing me. I don't want, I don't need to go to America, and they and they drop their whole America's my next step. Uh, no, for sure. In, in their narrative, it's interesting. No, uh, for sure. I thought of this business idea of of creating a travel agency specifically targeting post IDF soldiers. Cause it's, it's part of their culture in Israel to get out of the army and go on your vacation. Yeah. But there's no travel yeah, agency. There's no travel agency just specifically designed to, to support that. And so I True. feel like that there's a great market right there. There, there is a market for it every year. It's consistent, you know, soldiers, Making her, you know, they're yeah. making all their money and then wasting it all on a uh, on a trip. Yeah. That's one of the things I didn't do. I, I was kind of. Kinda... I was just like, whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in, uh, I'm gonna be in uh, the the medical discharge right now. But I'm gonna start working on my own business. What I'm gonna do after? Mm. I'm gonna take it. I should have taken some time to kind of like relax, go go see some sights, you know. Me too, man. Have a few have a few drinks and then uh, then and then start my way. Yeah, I, I I went straight into working for a green sabar, right? Trying to raise money for lone yeah. soldiers. I wish I spent a year living in a tent in the Philippines. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just do we'll just do it later latter parts of our lives. Eventually, it'll happen. Yeah. It's funny how people, uh, like, there's always that one friend of yours who's uh, from high school who's, like, currently living in Thailand right now, like, being a bartender or doing something <laughs> like that. And then all the par- all the parents are like, oh, Jack, like, what a what a failure, what a misfit that, that he's and doing he's that. And then everyone wants to do that at some point in their life. And for some reason, we put that down because they're not, like, what they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, whatever that means. It's um. Oh, it's interesting. It's yeah. funny. It's uh, definitely uh, life's an interesting uh, journey. I feel like uh, you gotta find the right journey for yourself, and then just make sure you en- enjoy every moment of it because it goes by quickly. Yeah, I, it's interesting for me to self-reflect and hear me like I'm constantly like shitting on the system, ta- like hating <laughs> on like hating on it. And I guess I I dealt- right yeah, I'm part of it. I've dealt with it. I'm like angry at it, and it's interesting that it's like one of my themes right now. I'm like attacking how the things really how things are, which I need Not to work sure. on, I guess. So, um, yo, this was an amazing podcast. I, I had yeah. no idea it was going to go like this. I was expecting we were going to be talking about completely different topics, <laughs> but, but I loved how it ended up. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. I enjoyed it. Thank Thank you very much for the time. Take care. Take care. Thanks for having me, bud. All right. See you, Ariel. Thanks a lot. All right, take it easy. See you. Bye.